Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Wow. Y'all can have a seat. I like that song. Anybody else? Golly. I've, uh, I've been friends with Mary and uh, Brandon, our guitar player, for... Um, they're both gone now. There's Mary. What, like four years? Five years? Well, now I'm that guy. And I'm telling you, I just never, ever get tired of um, hearing that, hearing her sing and hearing Brandon play. And our band, I just, anyway, so I got all verklempt, all emotional. Um, so my name is Sean. Welcome. We're super excited about this new series called Victory. Um, also, I, I know I'm, I had my ADD medicine, I promise, but even that video, Dusty, that's amazing, man. Thanks for bringing us uh, bringing our hearts to the right place. Hey, so uh, there's a really popular uh, scripture that you may have heard of. I went to North Greenville College, as most of you guys know. Uh, I got a whole year before they kicked me out, which is great. Enjoyed that time. Um, yep. Yep. And then uh, because I didn't have enough of one Southern Baptist school, went to another down in Charleston Southern. Didn't get kicked out, graduated, had a great time. Um, yeah. And then went to a Southern Baptist uh, church, was ordained there, and then Got kicked out of there. And um, yeah, I got a tattoo. I know. It's the worst. What a heathen I am. Um, but there's one specific scripture I think I heard preached more than any other scripture in my time in the Southern Baptist world, which, hey, I love the Southern Baptist Church. They're great people. I have dear friends that are Baptists, um, and they get really, really anxious when I talk about bourbon, and that's okay. But there's one particular verse that you may have heard of. It's in Matthew 28, called the Great Commission. Anybody heard of that before? Yeah, absolutely, right? It says, um, as you go, make disciples of all the nations. Actually says, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, And what I've learned in my time with that is there's one thing people, like pastors, love to preach on that. And they say, it's not just go, it's as you go. It's as you walk, as you move. In your day-to-day, take time leading people toward Jesus. And I'm like, well, that's a great thought. I love that idea, right? It's beautiful. And then the way we would do that is that we would have Easter egg hunts and just hope everybody would come to our church. And I was like, man, I, I, I get the heart, but I don't know that's exactly the proper, you know, like next steps we want people to take here. Like, hey, we're going to have this Easter egg hunt, something you could probably do at your house, and then you're going to come here, and we're going to save you and baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that works. It's great. I'm so thankful for that. But what I realize is that I think the heart is right, but the application is something that the church has got very comfortable with. And if you've come here, I've pretty much taken care of, unless it's the first time that you're here, the idea that you don't have to be comfortable in church, right? We have squeaky chairs in a middle school. It's hot, right? It's all good, because here we are. But in that, I think one thing we do well, one thing we've really tried to do is to be authentic and be real. I, you know, I, I don't think we do a um, terrible job of that because I've said things that I shouldn't have said that have gotten me in trouble. And, you know, we've messed up here and there and we don't need to recount all that because no one will come back to church. Um, but we're big believers in that in, the, in community and what that means. And that like sometimes we don't have it all together. Sometimes we miss things. Sometimes we have to get better. And I think in that it gives life to pieces of scripture that are tough. Like to things that don't fit really well for us, 
For instance, one of my favorite verses, and I say that with total sarcasm, is James 5.16. If you've never read the book of James, I want to encourage you to do that and then seek counsel and friends because it's not the easiest book to read. But it says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now I read that and I don't just hear like, okay, we're going to have accountability groups. You're going to sit down and be like, I was real angry this week. I apologize. I need you to help. When I read that, I actually hear that the heart of that is authenticity, is being honest, being straightforward, being clear. Um, and we're going to get very real today as well. I don't have any great sin I'm going to confess. Don't worry. Some of you guys are like, oh, great. Here we go. Everything's ending right in front of me. Um, no, what I want to do is I want to challenge you, and I want to ask you to join us and do something crazy. Um, the last few months and weeks and even years, we have been working towards something. And right now, we have an opportunity for this to be Trailside Church. Go ahead. So that is the old city hall building in Traveler's Rest. It's in the middle of the city. It will work in so many great ways for us. And we have actually had the city approach us and ask if we would like to go into that building for the next year and a half or so, or maybe more. And I thought, absolutely, one million percent yes. How do we do it? <clears throat> and what I learned is that um, it's not as easy as I had hoped. So let me get very real. For the last two years, even before we planted our church, my wife and I would drive by that building and go pray in the parking lot. And the cops would like drive in because it was still being used and cops would come by and like look at us, make sure we weren't deviants, right? Still happens, yeah. <laughs> Happened last week. While we were like walking outside praying over the building, cops are looking through those guys. Um, but when we, when we planted a church, our, our hearts and our draw actually were to this very building. I, I can't explain it. Um, I, you guys know me. I'm not super hyper spiritual. Like, I don't get in and go like, the Lord is calling us here. Um, but this is a place that my wife and I especially felt drawn toward. And so we've prayed and prayed and prayed, sat in that parking lot. Our elders have prayed in that parking lot. People that love us and care for us. Other churches um, have prayed in that parking lot for our church. And so when the city manager called us a couple weeks ago and said, hey, we'd like you to be in there, um, I, I nearly broke down. It was, it was pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Because here's what that building would mean for us. This building would be a place for us to be in the middle of the city, to call home, but to do more than that, to actually go out into the community that we feel so called to. If there's one thing I hope that you've learned about Trailside is that our heart is not to throw flags up outside and some black banners and hope people will come. Our heart is to go out into the city and to love people in the city. In fact, there are people here sitting in this church right now who are a result of some of our folks going and just loving people and just caring and, and asking questions of, hey, how are you? How can we pray for you? How can we love you today? Or meeting in grocery stores. I had the pleasure of meeting a, a lady this Friday, a young lady with my shirt on who just heard about our church and wanted to know. It was, it was really cool. She was like, do you love your church? And I was like, I do. And a few minutes in, I was like, hey, I'm the pastor. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and she goes, I'm going to hear that story. I was like, you absolutely are. Yeah. But before we get there, I want to be very real with you. This is that very real moment here. Because I'm gonna, this is probably not popular for a pastor to do, but you're here. You've heard me do that before. 
about a year ago, um, <clears throat> about a year ago, I was ready to quit. I was ready to close it up, be done. Um, I actually thought like maybe I'd misheard God and all the people who told us, hey, we're in, we're going to go for it. I, I was ready to be done. I just thought, you know, I'd misheard and I was wrong. And everybody, um, everybody else heard wrong as well. <laughs> we had a great core of people. We had incredible worship, but numbers were low. And I believed this lie that success in a church was derived from the amount of people. Three months in. Three months in, 90 days. Crazy, right? I've forgotten the vision of what our church was. And I'd actually believed a lie from another pastor locally who wrote me a letter the day after we launched. And I have purposefully not read this, um, and I'm not going to say who it is or anything like that. I'm not here to disparage um, any pastor. But I want you to hear something that was sent to me in the midst of that as we talk about this hope and this vision and this goal. Thank you. During our meeting, I was going to politely but firmly share my sincere concerns about, quote, Trailside Church, end quote. My concerns were confirmed with a promotional flyer that many members of our community received. The flyer emphasized nothing more than a social gathering. In fact, Jesus and his gospel were not promoted at all, but only the phrase, life-giving church, was evident. The, quote, church is not the giver or sustainer of life. The distinction describes Jesus alone. Only he is worthy of such accolades. Okay? Agree. <laughs> the, words of the, God, uh, the words of God spoken through his prophet Hosea also provide a sad but true commentary on many churches today, especially those, quote, churches coming out of the woodwork to, quote, reach millennials. Many of which are being led by individuals like you, who are pursuing their own ambitions and neglecting the infallible instructions that God has given for planting and prospering his churches. These, quote, churches are majoring on socializing and entertainment and monitoring on a life-giving discipleship, a discipleship that's utterly essential for a spiritual maturity in Christ-likeness that affirms one's salvation of being genuine. Here are the words of God's prophet preserved at Hosea 4, 6 and 6, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. These, quote, churches coming out of the woodwork to, quote, reach millennials also lack a spirit-empowered preaching that penetrates a soul. Okay, yeah, you got me. Um, (laughs) Arouses the sinner from his sinful slumber and awakens him to the promise of possibility of new life. The consequence of such preaching is a demonic deception that leads to a false salvation and secures an eternity destiny in the fires of hell. This is what Jesus is affirming at Matthew 7 when he warns those who profess to be his followers without surrendering their lives to their leadership. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate wide for many who choose that way. Here's a summary of reasons why why our church cannot provide the support that you seek. And then he goes on and says things like, we're not a real church, have a real pastor, not a real call, Um, unknowingly leading people, sorry, unknowingly leading people into hell without them knowing or caring and attempting to profit off of them. And so a year ago when I was ready to quit, that letter spoke life, well, death into me. 
I started telling myself that God had truly forgotten us or that I misheard him and I'd been doing that. I, I resonated with the first part of Psalm 13 and owned my heart. It says, how long, O Lord, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will my enemies be over me? But then something crazy happened. And he's here today, so I'm not going to make him feel too weird, but he already knows. As I was getting ready to preach what I thought might be the last sermon, the curtains were closed. And I told Jesus in the back, which is, you know, anytime that you tell Jesus something, you're like, here we go, right? Because I told Jesus, I'm not going to plant a church. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be in ministry. Here we are. And I was like, I'm not going to have a million dollars and drive a Lambo. I'm still waiting on those. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I told him, I was like, I'm going to get out there and preach. And then you can just shut it down and be done. And as I sat in the back curtains, disparaging myself and forgetting what it was God called us to, my brother came back and he said, I know you're discouraged, but God is just beginning something and I'm on fire. And I'm doing it right now. And my first thought was, okay, my brother's gone crazy and now he's blind. Um, but it, what I realized was it was my own blindness. And so um, later after that, the, well, the, Two hours later, I got a text from one of our overseers, one of our friends, Robbie Foreman, who spoke here. And I promise I'm going somewhere with all this, okay? Who, uh, he texted me, and he said, hey, quote, God hasn't forgotten you. He's given you more than enough. Read Judges 7. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not the hero. I don't say any of that. I'm actually the doubting Thomas, the fearful, uh, weak-minded pastor at the time. And it had been a while since I read Judges 7, so I went there, and I read, and I'm going to be honest with you, I wept like a 10-year-old girl at her first One Direction concert. <laughs> that was me. Went all by myself. I knew that would work. But that's how it was. Because I, I'd, I'd convinced myself that God was done. And so Judges 7, as I read it, was a, a bevy of emotion for me. It was convicting of my weak heart. It was encouraging. It was hopeful. But even more than that, it was merciful to me as a, as a pastor, as a young leader. And so what I want to do, I want to go with you there so you can hear the heart of our church and what I believe God has called us to, because that is just a building until a church inhabits it and goes out and takes the gospel with it. And so we're going to be in Judges 7 this morning and give you a little backup. Uh, Gideon, is leading this army. He's tearing through all of these different areas where people have become godless and been given over to their own sin and all the yada, yada, yada things that happen there. That's for you older folks in the crowd. And so he has an army of 32,000 men, strong enough to take anybody down, well-trained, ready to roll. Gideon is flying through the countryside, just tearing people down. Bam, bam, victory, 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 victory. And something absolutely wild happens. And so we're going to start Judges 7, verse 2. I do. I have a better readable version there. I'm getting old. My eyes are uh, failing me. This is what God says to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore... Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. All right, so let's give a little bit of background here. 
So Gideon has this huge army. He's about to face one of the biggest foes there is. And God says, hey, wait. If I let you continue with who you have, you will be able to boast and say it was you. So I want you to start sending people away. Now imagine this, like you're ready to go, you've got all the numbers you need, there's no fear because you know you're going to be victorious, even though it might cost you something, and God says, hey, you're too ready. Too many people. Start sending people away. And he says, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) and he says, those who are fearful, those who are scared of what's happening, let them go. Send them away, see who comes back. And 22,000 of the 10,000 leave. Two-thirds of the people are gone. The warriors, those who are ready to fight for Gideon. Now imagine you're Gideon, right? You send all your crew, people you are counting on, and you're like, all right, guys, go get what you need. Come back, and we're going to fight. And a third of the people show up. Imagine the heart of Gideon. But it gets better. So as 10,000 people come back, I'm just leave it there. Verse 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. I'm like, what? I'm glad they didn't have a story about Sean in the Old Testament, because it would be like, and then Gideon left, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall go, or shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So people who reach down, get water, go like a dog, versus people who get down on their knees and bring their mouth to the water. And the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So God has allowed 22,000 to go. And then over a simple act of drinking water, God sends 9,700 more gone. So now Gideon's army, which was 32,000, is now 300. Sound like a movie you've watched? Maybe. So Gideon now has 300 people to go and fight with. Those who didn't kneel but stood their ground are the ones that the Lord chooses. But we're not done yet. Verse 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, so if you are scared of Scripture, don't worry. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. Perfect. Sounds like a winner. And he sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So so God sends 31,700 soldiers away. And what does he do to get them ready to fight? He gives them trumpets and glass jars. Victory, right? Yeah. Now, I've broken some glass jars in my day, right? But I'm not going to go into a fight with them. But that's what God does. God gives them tools of a horn, of a ram, turned into a trumpet, 
and provisions glass jar, like a stick with fire on the end. This is what God uses to fight. Hmm. So 19 through 23, we're going to skip down just so I don't talk forever. Basically what happens before that is that God says, if you're still fearful, I want you to go into camp and find this guy. And he's got a vision for you. So he's scared. So he goes down and he says, hey, I need to know what this vision is. And his servant recounts this story that tells him, hey, the, the victory is coming. God hasn't forgotten you. And so skipping down to verse 19, we see that Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. It's the middle of the night. When they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke jars. They held in their left hand torches and their right hands trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. When I was uh, 17 years old, I was a new Christian. It was my first summer as a believer. And we actually went to the Greenville Braves game, right? Anybody remember Greenville Braves? Some of y'all holler. Yeah, I saw a Greenville Braves hat yesterday. I was like, oh, I'd like to get one of those, except for the Braves broke my heart in 95, but that's okay. <clears throat> and they had this big deal where they brought people in, and we went there because it was a faith night, and they brought these Jewish uh, rabbis and from the, the, the temple there, and, um, and they brought them in, and they told this story. They're like, and, and God used these ram's horns, and we're going to blow them to show you the power and everyone was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And they brought out like these six horns that were all, you know, twirly and swirly. And they got up and they all counted down and they went. <laughs> and the whole stadium busted out laughing. I felt awful for them, but I was also laughing. And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, okay, so the way the Lord works is like six guys go grab these horns that don't make any real noise. And that's victory. And you can see the people who are like trying to save face. You know when you get embarrassed and you're like, okay, I can either live in the embarrassment and cry or I can just act like I'm supposed to be here, you know? You can see like they blew on their horns and everybody laughed and they were like, yes. They did one of those, kind of walked off the field. So that's what happens here. 300 men blow horns, throw down glass jars. And every man, in verse 21, stood in his place around the camp, and the army ran, and they cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So they began, the Midianites began killing each other. And the army fled as far as Bethsheba towards Zerah, Zerar, Zerera, Zerera, sorry, as far as the border of Abel-Maloah, and by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and all of Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. So, using glass jars and ram's horns, they defeat this huge army. Because glass jars and ram's horns and sticks on fire is all that God decided he needed that day to achieve huge victory that would have belonged to 32,000 soldiers. And God does it with 300. And he does it with faithfulness of Gideon and his people. 
Because that's the only way things like this work. That's the only way, because victory isn't ours to have, it's his, and we just get to walk in the shadow of it. Because it is over us. But that's the way God works when we're faithful and listen. When we take steps, when things sound crazy, but God says go. Sometimes it just takes shofars, ram's horns. Sometimes it just takes glass jars and a little bit of yelling and fire. Because the power isn't in the glass jars. The power is in the Lord's faithfulness and call. And then something crazy happens. Gideon sent messengers in verse 24. So Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they, really? Okay. All the men of Ephraim were called out. Sorry, I shouldn't have responded. And they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. That sounds horrific. And they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Victory. So here's what happens. The army defeats them. The Midianites begin slaying each other. And then they run. And as they're running, Gideon sends messengers. And what happens is all of the other people who are part of the Lord's army come and knock everything else out. They follow the path. They follow the leadership. They follow what God has done. They were just step two. And God has victory because 300 people, 300 soldiers were willing to say yes. So why does that matter to any of us? Well, I want to be straight with you guys. The leadership of our church has gotten together in prayerfully much prayer, much conversation and meeting and talking and whatever else we've done. <laughs> right, elders? We've gotten together and we've been praying for a long time. We know that we feel like our church is supposed to be in a, in a place that does a few things. Number one, that's truly in the perceived city of Traveler's Rest. Right? Listen, I'm not going to misrepresent anything like there's no cell phone signal here no wi-fi the kids rooms are as good as we can make them we're in a middle school it's hot we get that but I think the hardest thing is that there's this mental block that so many people have told me when you pass the sign that says downtown travelers rest and you drive the four minutes there's something that happens in between there and I don't know what it is but for as long as we've been here we felt like our place here wasn't forever because our call is to get into the city of Traveler's Rest. We want to be easily accessible for families, and we want to have top-shelf children's ministry. Listen, I know my son is a sinner. I live with him. We want to do what we can to make it better. We also want to begin our student ministry. Church, I want you to know we have five, 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 volunteers who have been meeting 
every single week for the last few months and praying and deciding what God wanted to call them to be a student ministry in the city? Five. Five. And we want to honor that. Because students matter. But we also want to be a place where we can take ministry into the city at a next level. So when tragedy strikes, we can open our doors and people can come and just be home and loved and cared for. And there are some things that we really want to do that we're ready, but we just honestly need a space. Third Saturday, we want to adopt a block and go into some of these neighborhoods, not that are easy, but that are hard, that are forgotten, and adopt them and love them and show them that Jesus can love them too and give them hope and change culture and change generations, guys. Break chains of kids right now who are walking around doing nothing, feeling worthless. And if you want to know if that's real, we've talked to some of them here setting up on Friday before. We have an opportunity. We actually have some teachers who said that they would volunteer at weekly tutoring for free for kids who can't afford it. We have a couple of folks who are professionals who said that they want to actually run through people and build resumes and help them learn how to do job interviews. And we have a staffing agency downtown that we know very well who said if we run them through this program that they will actually give them an interview, people who maybe never would have had a chance. This is called breaking generational sin. This is how we change an entire city. Because when we do those things, the gospel becomes more clear and more honest. And it, it, it takes people's hearts and it remolds them because it breaks them and puts them in a place of humility. And that brings hope. See, when we planted our church, it wasn't just to be another church, it's to affect and change an entire community. Because as I've said, if we're not doing that, we can just close the doors and all go somewhere else. We want a place to hold meals, to hold training for the city. One thing I'm very excited about, we want to do a thing every month where parents can come, drop their kids off, and just go have a date night. Or go nap. (laughs) And do it for free. Just because we want to love kids. And the coolest part is we're going to actually ask them to go invest back into the city of TR. So we're going to say drop your kids off and go down there and just, just talk over a pizza. So even that we can invest back into our city and change this culture and heal marriages and watch the Lord do some incredible work. It'll be a place where small groups can meet, where city planning can occur, where life change can happen, where addictions are broken, where we can have celebrate recovery, and people who have no hope can have hope. But listen, I'm going to be honest. It's a big ask. It's a big step. We only have what we have here. This is us. However, here's what we believe about our church. We believe that God has specifically called us to this city. We believe that God has specifically prepared us for this moment. I'm incredibly excited because on Easter Sunday, uh, I guess this is an announcement. Here we go. On Easter Sunday, we are going to commission and pray over a brand new pastor on our staff. And I'm pumped. Yeah. His name is Tyler. Tyler Skipper, he's uh, from this area, lived here for a long time, did Young Life. Uh, His wife, Afton, was a coworker of mine way back in the day at First Presbyterian Church. 
Do you know Afton? No. Oh, okay. Just very excited. Young life. Ah. Um, and he's coming on, and he's actually going to work a full-time job because he so believes in what's happening here that he's called to our church. And so until we can afford to pay him, he's going to work. But he's going to love our college and career students. And he's going to preach some, and he's just going to go out and make this church a greater place. And as a lot of you guys know, on June 2nd, our very own Hannah Arada, intern, worship leader, helper, is going to be coming full-time on staff. She's raising her own salary. And her job is going to be to engage the community. It's going to literally be, here are the keys to the city. Go love people. Go figure out how we can serve. Go, go find stories that we can bring to the table, and we can see God move. Because that's what God has called us to. But before I do any of that and get too into details, oh, and we have five interns, college interns, who are working for free, who are awesome. Guys, we just can't miss this opportunity, I'll just be honest with you. But it's going to require a lot from us. But listen, the time is now. And before I get too further, I know I'm the pastor, so you expect me to say these things. I want to show you a very quick video about what happens when our mission meets its mark, and lives are changed. Well, my name is Marcus Jones. I'm JC Jones. Wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to seeing them grow and develop within the community of TR um, and working more with volunteering in the community and just being there to help the community because that's that's what I've always believed that a church should do, and I've, I've never seen a church do it until I became a part of Trailside. And I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of that. I know the difference that it's made in my life. And knowing that I can turn around and give back into something and know that I can make somebody else out there some other family that's been broken, that's gone through the type of things that my family's gone through, the, the, the suffering murder, the whole, the whole nine, knowing that that brokenness can be healed and being able to give into something and give into a mission and knowing that, hey, you can too. That, that's cool, you know? Just knowing that we have more people here, uh, that, Leona is going to be able to grow up around. She's going to have friends that that care and that will want, it. and other parents that likewise want to see that see her grow into a, a strong, you know, smart person as well. That's means a lot. It means more than I can say. And getting back to serving with Trailside again, now I'm even doubly invested because what I invest in that church now is not just going to benefit, you know, others. It's going to benefit my little girl too. And so that makes it even doubly, triply more uh, for me, you know. I, kn I know what Trailside means to me, and I, I know what, in the 10 months I've been here, out of a middle school, I know what we've been able to do. And I know wh where our giving has gone. I know what the mission is. <laughs> And I am, I am, I am fully committed and 100% ready to take the next step. 
And so the one thing that I'd want to say to everybody else, you know, now in, in trail side is, you know, f to, to follow that, follow that example, but dive in, get, give, give what you can dive in and, um, you know, let, let's, let's get after it. Let's get that. Let's get the building. Let's, let's do more, <laughs> you know, cause we, we have the opportunity to do more. And so I guess I just, I would want to just tell everybody to, to rally, dig deep, give what they can and let's, let's just do more. Yeah. So you can watch uh, Marcus and JC's full story. It'll be on our webpage here in a few, uh, a few days. Um, I met Marcus and JC at 13 Stripes, hanging out, having a beer. They were done with church, finished. And the Lord moved and Marcus got a great haircut. <laughs> now they're serving and giving and pregnant. And even them, they've brought other folks in who had an opportunity to have the gospel change their lives. And so here it is. We've been in talks with, that, with the city for some time. Um, we are about ready to take the last step, the next step. But you're at church, so if you came, expect not to hear about money. Sorry, Jesus talked about it a lot. Um, but we believe that God has all he, ha all he needs right here. Even if it is a a ram's horn and a glass bottle. And we're asking you to step into this vision with us, um, to commit to giving for the next few months to get us in, because here's what we believe. That much like in the last section of Judges 7, as the enemy was running and fleeing, that other people who were with Gideon's army came and snuffed it out. We believe that if we get into this building and we do what it is we're called to, that God is going to grow our church and grow our ministry, and we're going to baptize hundreds of people. We've baptized 13 so far in a middle school in Podunk, TR. But that's what we believe. It won't be perfect, but nothing is. Um, and our goal is that if we can sign this contract, this lease, that we would actually have Easter Sunday at our new building. Which I know is crazy sounding. It won't be perfect, but we'll paint it. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot, but when I see stories like Marcus and JC, people who've given up on church until somebody just loved them, which is what one of our elders, Josh, did, I, I know that things can change. Um... And that makes me thankful for this letter from this pastor that I received. Because here's why. There are two pages, actually. There's a whole other page, but I don't want to bore you or make you really mad. I don't know. The attitude and the purpose and the heart of what he meant created a subset of people who are walking around our city who just need to know that they are okay and have a place of hope. People that thought they couldn't walk back in church, or that the church was too angry, or that being a Christian meant you had to vote a certain way or think a certain way, or that real Christians can't struggle and can't be honest and can't confess and, and they can't fight or disagree. 
that there are people walking and sleeping and having crepes probably right now because they've given up on church because they don't know that anything like this place exists. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound cocky because I think what we have here is very special. Um, And Marcus and JC are one of the stories. And I'll be honest, I'm tired of it too. So here's what I did. I took that letter. I printed it out. and put it in a frame. Both of them. And it sits in my office at my house right now because it is a constant and consistent reminder of who it is God has called us to. And it's not the people who have it all together. It's not the people who are super pretty, who the Lord has blessed, and they can comfortably say, like, God loves me because I've got all this stuff. It's the people who said, I don't fit in church because I've got something in my life that doesn't fit in church culture. And we're just going to love people. And so this sits framed in my office. And hopefully it'll sit framed at 6711 State Park Road as a constant and consistent reminder to everyone who walks in that this is our mission field right here. This is what we are about. Being a quote church With a pastor who made his own calling and people who are unknowingly flying into hell. But I'll tell you what, I'll baptize every dang one of those people who's been categorized that way. <clears throat> Our elders are about to pass out some cards, some commitment cards to you. They're called More Than Enough. That's what we believe, and I'm asking you to prayerfully consider being a part of this with us. Because <clears throat> more than enough is what we believe. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask you, church, to dig deep. Because that's what we have to do. We have to be the 300 so that the 32,000 can come and find freedom. So that they can come unafraid. And that's going to be hard. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story about a man who is building a house and needs to count the cost. And it's a story about discipleship, but I think the parable works here as well. In my time in the Dominican Republic, you drive through and see all of these little half buildings built with grass growing up everywhere, right, Aiden? Aiden went with me four times. Um, And we'd ask what happened. He said, well, people would just take money and they'd buy the bricks and they'd throw it on there and then they'd have nothing. And so these buildings would just kind of be a wall or a stone and the grass would overgrow it and it would eventually become useless. Well, we want to count the cost. That's what we have to do. We want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with and what you trust us with. And we just believe that after years of prayer, after planning our church, it's time to take this next step because it is going to be a big step but if we can come together, I, guys, I just really believe that things can change. And here's the kicker. Eric Vinson, who is the city manager, city planner, and Brandy Amadon, who is our incredible mayor, lovely girl, loves Jesus. When they called, they asked, um, and they asked if we wanted to be in the building. I was right here, and we had our interns and a few others around us. I'd tell them to be quiet multiple times because we were all shaking with excitement. But he said something that really told me that this is not a momentary thing for us. He actually said, in the month of May, 
that the city of TR is coming together to build a new master plan. And he said, and we have decided, I've told my staff that we want Trailside at that table. Because the city, we can clap for that, that's fine, that's encouraging. And and he actually went on and said, because they've heard about how you love people and what you've done to the community, am I right? Aiden heard it all. I make him, he's with me all the time. I just make him stay with me. (laughs) Um, He said, and we've heard that you guys are wanting to really invest in this city. He said, so we want you at the table because we want Trailside in the center of our city for as long as you'll be there. And that, guys, that is so much more than just a building we'd move into. That is vision from a government city about what our church can be to it. And that's change. The city wants Trailside to have a place in the long haul. And so our investment we're asking you is not for a short term, it's for a long term. And no investment you will make or that we will make is going to have a return on investment that will be generationally chain-breaking for people right now who have given up. And so I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. Lane and I actually are, um, have sold a bunch of stuff or are in the process of selling so we can, we can bring the first gift to the table because I would not go anywhere or ask you to go anywhere that I'm not willing to go as well. And so we're going to do that. And I'm going to ask you in the next couple minutes here to prayerfully consider sacrificing for people you don't even know yet as well to be part of the 300. And so we're going to have a little bit of time here Um, before the next song. And uh, everybody has an envelope on your seat. So if you're with a spouse or a friend or even by yourself, you can fill that out and put in the envelope and no one has to see anything. It'll just be the elders. Um, But there's a perforated side because as you know, I told you I love perforating. And so here's what we want you to do. If you're ready to give and to commit to this, there's two things we're gonna do. We're gonna ask first to have a, we're gonna have a kickstart, which is basically an extra offering that you're giving so that we can get in this building and clean it up. We can make our children's area really awesome. And we can make sure that on Easter, we're invested and ready to go. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, we just need to have heating and air. <laughs> um, and on the card, you can actually see what we, what we hope to do that with under our goal um, and under the Kickstart contribution. And then we're gonna ask on the other side that you will pledge and commit to giving from now until the end of the year. And you'll say, this is what I can do a week or a month or whatever. And all you got to do is tear that little section off, keep this for you, and put this in the basket or in the envelope and give it to us on the way out. And we're going to put all that stuff together with some gifts that we have already and some people who are outside of our church who give. And we're going to take a number to the city and say, this is what we can do. And they're going to say yes, and we're going to celebrate like crazy but it's got to be all of us. And so, church, God is more than enough. And if it's, ram, if it's ram's horns and glass bottles, and if that means we stay here, we stay here. And we wait. But I know, I know that God has called us here to do something incredible. I hope that we can come together and be a part of it. Let me pray. We'll give you a couple minutes to pray yourself, consider. And if it's not the right time, don't be pressured. Let, other, let others 
lift you up. It's okay. But know that this is going to change our city forever. Let me pray. Father, you're good. And Lord, as I read today, vision is in ink, but plans are in pencil. And Lord, our vision is undying because you've given it to us. But Father, my hope, my, our hearts, our church's leadership heart is that we would be able to come into this city and we would show the city who you are, not who Trailside is. For the same reason we haven't put signs up in Gateway Park and blasted how good we are at everybody, but so that people would see change and the only thing they could do is praise you for it. God, that you would get glory. So Lord, move in our hearts. Help us to be sacrificial and help us to be drawn to the future of this city. God, that we are going to see baptisms happen of people who right now are giving up or have given up hope. That we're not saving them to morality. We're not saving them to politics. We're not saving them to anything except for your cross and your redemption. Father, keep moving in us. We love you. We thank you. And we trust you for what you've already done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When you feel ready to worship, take your time and you can stand. But only as you're ready. We love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever had before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and we can't wait to see you again soon.